our goal when we launched in August was to start building tools for developers um, to essentially be able to build on real businesses on chain. So we launched sequence of fee sharing, um, which enables the developer to clone application um, and earn a percentage of transaction fees from their users. Um, we also started building dashboards for developers to understand more about their user base. As yeah, after speaking to a load of developers, the biggest problem for them right now, developing apps is, um, you know, not so much, can I build this thing? It's very much like, how do I scale it? How do I secure it? How do I uh, ensure that, you know, users come back after trying it for the first time? Welcome to the Edge Podcast. I'm DeFi Dad here with Nomadic from 4RC. Today's show spotlights the newly launched Ethereum L2 mode. Mode Mainnet just went live along with details for their future mode airdrop. In this episode, we'll talk with the founder of Mode, James Ross, about how Mode differentiates as an L2 with features such as sequencer fee sharing, how Mode will host a new class of its own native DeFi protocols, and how we as users can earn a share of the future Mode airdrop. But before we do, just a quick word from our sponsors who make the Edge podcast possible. Introducing RSweep by Swell Network, a native liquid restaking token that gives you access to the Eigenlayer ecosystem. Earn pearls, points, and future restaking rewards without locking your liquidity. And enjoy countless DeFi integrations for earning easy passive yield. Learn more at swellnetwork.io. Introducing the Mantle Liquid Staking Protocol, Mantle LSP, a permissionless, non-custodial ETH liquid staking protocol deployed on Ethereum L1 and governed by Mantle. With Mantle LSP, users can stake ETH to instantly receive ME, earn yield and accumulate rewards the longer you stake. METH is the value accumulating receipt token that will give you access to expanded yield opportunities. Stake and watch your yield grow with Mantle LSP. For most of us, our crypto journey started with MetaMask. And now with MetaMask Portfolio, we can do so much more. MetaMask Portfolio puts you in control. Use the dashboard to see all your assets and balances across your wallets in one place. The buy feature allows us to buy crypto assets effortlessly with fiat options such as PayPal or credit card. The swap feature allows us to swap any tokens anytime by finding a selection of available rates. The bridge feature allows us to bridge between networks including Ethereum, L1s, and L2s based on the best price and fastest delivery time. And with the stake feature, anyone in a few clicks can stake ETH and earn rewards. Do more in Web3 your way with a safe, simple, and convenient tool that's all in one place. Track and manage your Web3 everything at metamask.io slash portfolio. It all started so simply with CryptoKitties and Maker on Ethereum, but quickly became complex with more applications and many chains. Today, everyone agrees, UX issues are the biggest blocker standing in the way of crypto adoption. Introducing Avocado. Multi-chain UX redesigned from the ground up. The first wallet to abstract networks, accounts and gas. One gas tank to pay transaction fees on all chains in USDC, and native access to Instadap's powerful, custom DeFi strategies. Avocado, one wallet to rule all chains. 
All right, let's introduce James Ross, the founder of Mode. James, welcome to the Edge Podcast. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm super excited to, yeah, to, to chat. So we're recording this in advance. And if folks are watching this, uh, they're probably aware then that Mode L2 has gone live, which also means that the Mode Airdrop campaign has kicked off. And so our goal here today is to introduce folks to all things Mode, to understand uh, how does Mode differentiate as an L2. And I, I think as an airdrop farmer, as uh, a long-term DeFi investor, um, as, as a DeFi investor that wants to see L2s like Mode that are, are super focused uh, on uh, building uh, you know, the next generation of DeFi protocols, um, I want to understand how to get involved. So, uh, James, why don't we just start with a little bit more about your background? Um, you've been in the crypto space for quite a long time. Uh, what can you share about some of the work that you've done? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been in the space since uh, 2017, 2018 as an angel investor and helping teams with their go-to-market, with their growth strategies. Um, I used to have a podcast. I still have a podcast. It's not very active. Um, I ran a blog called Growing Web 3, where I was lucky enough to actually interview yourself. Hard to do a podcast and build an L2 at once. So like, I, <laughs> you, 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 you do the hard work. We'll, uh, we'll keep recording podcasts. So, yeah, but yeah, you're, you're a master marketer of, of web three. Like you, you've been, I, I think like one of the, the few people I've known over the years, uh, to have been totally focused on the storytelling around crypto and, and I, which is part of the reason I'm really excited to hear more here today about mode. I I'm just really, uh, confident that you're going to be able to do the harder stuff of marketing that I think other teams struggle with, um, and get folks in that door and excited, um, to try mode. But anyways, I, I cut you off there. Tell, tell us a little bit more about like, yeah, some of the, the work you did on marketing for teams in, in crypto. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I was working very early on with DeFi teams, um, and that was since like 2018, 19. DeFi wasn't even really a term at that point in time. Um, but we called it like financial applications uh, being built with blockchain. Um, it was a really exciting time. There were some great teams. Um, I was lucky enough to spend some time in New York with one of the first DeFi wallets called Balance. Um, it was a non-custodial wallet um, from the founder Rick. Uh, the team ended up splitting up. Um, some of that team went on to build a rainbow wallet. But I spent some time with them. I spent time uh, in San Francisco as well with a lot of early DeFi teams. Um, so really got an insight into like how you know this incredible uh, approach to uh, rebuilding financial services um, on top of Ethereum would be. And yeah, um, I kind of continued working with teams uh, mainly on the growth go-to-market strategies. I worked with an exchange called Hashflow. Um, I then uh, had a small consultancy. We were helping teams with TVL. We were also um, running liquid strategies ourselves. So we were LPs across projects like Compound, Arbe. Um, we did a lot of derivatives trading on DYDX as well. Um, and yeah, that was that was a really fun time. Um, around that time, I met the founder of an uh, agency called Hype, and um, he had a community tool company that he'd built, um, a developer tooling company uh, that he'd built through the last bear market, 2019, 2020. 
and in early 2021 that got acquired so uh yeah he bought out my company and i uh took over hype um for a period when he was working at this uh this other uh yeah uh, his staff that was acquired um during the time of hype helped grow the team uh, from around 40 50 people to over 150 we work with a lot of the biggest um ecosystems uh helping them on things like ecosystem growth go to market um develop acquisition and kind of everything that was yeah non-technical um we also built a product team we also started running validators um so it became like yeah a network of companies essentially um and i left that around seven months ago to start building mode and yeah it's been it's been quite the journey um i've always been like very close to the ethereum ecosystem and you know as we've seen blockchains develop um we've seen like the structure of l1s and l2s develop um it's been really exciting for me to see how you know quickly l2s have been adopted um and the awesome traction they're getting um i've always kind of followed vitalik's uh yeah, and the Ethereum uh, roadmap that, you know, L2s are going to be the future of scaling. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of last year, I was speaking to some Optimism teams, friends who are working there. I was speaking to uh, people I know working on different uh, solutions. Um, and it became clear that, yeah, there's going to be lots of groups of chains. Um, the tech that we use is going to become fairly commoditized and the real advantage um, and the real battle between different chains is going to be on the application layer, right? So the problem, um, the problem for building a new ecosystem is not so much on, can I build something more decentralized? Can I build something more um, scalable right now? That's all pro that's all happening right? And there's lots of amazing teams working on that. And we've had lots of awesome innovation. And that's, you know, the roadmap is there. The real challenge now is around how can we build ecosystems? How can we grow the space as a whole? Um, how can we think of new applications? Um, how can we bring more developers uh, to our applications to grow Ethereum um, and grow the space in general? So, yeah, I started working with a friend called Dimmy on some ideas, essentially building a blockchain that would share revenues um, and give sustainable business models to developers, to application developers, um, and create like a system where as a dev, you can deploy, deploy an app and you have a very clear journey from deploying your application to then scaling it across multiple chains. Um, so yeah, that was a foundational thinking behind Mode. Um, our goal when we launched in August was to, or launch a test in August was to start building tools for developers, um, to essentially be able to build on real businesses on chain. So we launched sequence of fee sharing, um, which enables a developer to point application, um, and earn a percentage of transaction fees from their users. Um, we also started building dashboards for developers to understand more about their user base. Um, and we've refined that. We've built, yeah, many different tools over the past six months. And yeah, now we have the mainnet live. Um, 
yeah, we've we've worked closely with a lot of applications to kind of incubate them, help them with their go to market. Um, so yeah, they are they can start their growth journey, and they have different revenue steam, streams to essentially keep building and keep growing. As yeah, after speaking to a load of developers, the biggest problem for them right now developing apps is, um, you know, not so much can I build this thing. It's very much like how do I scale it? How do I secure it? Um, how do I uh, ensure that you know users come back after trying it for the first time? How do I ensure that like they know when there's updates? Um, and these are all you know different challenges than you know the kind of challenges we had a few years ago, which were almost all technical, right? Every dev you spoke to would be like it's really hard to build smart contracts. It's really difficult to build scalable applications. Now the challenges are very much like, it's very hard to get users. It's very hard to get more devs on our protocol. Um, it's very hard to secure things. Um, so it's different challenges. So yeah, we're building mode to support devs with those challenges. Yeah, I think you make a good point about uh, the the future is, is that I think the the tech you mentioned will be commoditized. So if, if you want to um, start a new L2 or in the future L3s or whatever else we get to, uh, it's not the tech I think that, yeah, will differentiate. It's, you know, it's very similar to if you start an e-commerce business today, most of those are running on like similar tech stacks. It's more about how do they attract, in this case, customers? And with L2s, I think it's more about how do you attract those users and attract the right protocols that are going to onboard those users. I, I don't also want to like, you know, I, I don't want to play down the importance of this tech. Like it's still really early. Like, you know, for, for folks like us, it feels like we've already come so far and there's been so much development um, in terms of building secure, scalable blockchains. But yeah, I mean, we've still got quite a bit to go. And I, I think I, I love like the way you describe like where the puck is going here. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a fight to like build the best communities. And I think there's some first mover advantage, you know, with folks like Optimism and Arbitrum already and, and some others. Uh, so this, this might lead us then into I guess, like, why did you choose to build on the OP stack? Like, are are you trying to um, hook on to like the network effects of what's been built already through through Optimism? I'm just kind of curious, like, why you chose it? Yeah. So, when anyone, any founder, is looking to build an L2, right? Um, in 2024, there's different routes you can take. Or in 2023, um, there's different routes you can take. Um, and you're looking, you're seeing most teams now choosing either like an OP stack, um, optimistic rollup, or you're seeing teams uh, choosing ZK rollups, right? Going for something like uh, Polygon ZK EVM. And that's, for example, uh, what Manta's built on, um, a few others, I think, Canto. Um, so you have to think strategically about which direction you're going to go in. Um, there's benefits to ZK EDMs, there's benefits to optimistic rollups. Um, I really like uh, how like Optimism's general approach to being really focused on um, growing Ethereum. And 
you know, that, that very much aligns with mine, the teams, like our community's values and our mission, our goal is to build, uh, kind of new approach to DeFi, a new approach to fundraising mechanisms, a new approach to scaling DeFi applications by building out essentially new economic mechanisms for growth, right? So whether that's sequence of fee sharing and experimenting with that, whether that's building um, new types of treasuries, um, our goal is to build out systems so we don't have to rely so much on governance, um, which we feel is very clunky and very slow. We want to build our automated rules systems um, that reward people that grow the network. Um, and yeah, we spoke with the Optimism team about this a lot. And Optimism as a uh, chain is very much focused on um, public goods funding, uh, which is amazing. They're very much focused on good governance. Um, so we felt that us, you know, taking an almost opposite approach to building within that ecosystem is beneficial because there's lots that we can learn from them and hopefully we can build some things uh, where they can learn from us. Um, so yeah, also when we talk about OP stack, there is, there is a distinction. Um, you have chains like Blast, which use OP stack, um, but they're not part of Optimism super chain, right? Optimism super chain is base, Zora, mode, OP mainnet. Um, and to be part of this super chain, you have to, uh, share, uh, specific standards. Um, you also have to contribute back to the collective. So, um, mode contributes sequence of fees back to the super chain collective back to optimism. Um, we have, yeah, an agreement there. So, um, we also have an agreement that we'll use, uh, the tech stack, like the, is, um, yeah, the OP mainnet, uh, configuration we won't for example swap in a different da layer when we feel like it um we have shared security standards um and you know eventually there'll be interoperability across different chains um that are in this super chain um and it's optimism's way of scaling um it's their new approach to scaling um so yeah we've had a lot of support from them um we recently received a uh two million OP grant. I'm not sure what the current price of that is right now, but um, it's pretty significant. And, you know, that's for us to focus on doing more research into these different economic mechanisms. We've looked a lot into like competitive game theory on chain. How can you have two uh, pseudonymous addresses that compete? What conditions do you have to create them to build something bigger? Um, we've looked at yeah, different ways of revenue sharing on blockchains. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers why we chose optimism, but, um, we've seen, we see a huge amount of opportunity within this super chain, um, of contributing. So what, one of the features that you referenced, uh, sequencer fee sharing, can, can you dumb that down just a bit? Uh, maybe go as far as like, what do you mean when you reference sequencer, where do the fees come from? And, and then what's the net result of this? Cause I, I, I want to say that. Part of the design choice here reminds me of uh, of how Canto uh, works. C Canto has this this uh, is it called contract sharing revenue CSR. Um, it, anyways, what Canto did is they've they've uh, made it possible so that if you're a developer 
and you created the code that like powered the sushi swap farms originally which got copied and pasted over and over and over again into all these different DeFi applications, there is some bit of revenue there that's like earned um, for that developer. So I, I think this is a really clever way to incentivize developers to to work on your L2. Uh, but anyways, yeah, if you can break that down for us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, sequences essentially are sequence transactions and they pass them through to the L1, right? So every L2 has uh, a sequencer. Um, and when you pay fees on optimism base or mode, um, that fee goes to the sequencer and part of that fee is the cost to post that transaction to the L1 to Ethereum, right? Um, and there's a load of those transactions rolled up and that's why they're cheap. Um, because instead of posting, you know, instead of directly posting every transaction on the L1, you're rolling them up on the L2, posting them as a batch. And um, yeah, that is usually quite a significant profit um, between the transaction fee and after it's been posted, there's yeah, a small profit margin. And lots of different teams have looked into how they use those sequencer fees. Most teams uh, most L2s take those sequencer fees and, yeah, uh, maybe keep them for themselves, like use them to like reinvest um, via different means, right? Could be through DAO, could be through governance. Uh, we're looking to um, essentially give those fees back to the developers directly. So a developer might have an application like a DEX. Um, there's contracts on that DEX they've deployed and uh, users make lots of transactions, say a hundred transactions. And, you know, let's say to make it easy, every transaction has a fee of $1, should be much less than an L2, let's say it's a dollar. Um, and uh, yeah, 50% of that can go to developers or 20% of that could go to developers or it'd be profit. So mode is looking at different ways we can distribute fees. And yeah, we actually, um, use some of Kanto's uh, open source contracts. Um, they were, yeah, the first to really do this uh, with um, their model. Um, they, yeah, their contract secured revenue is slightly different in the way it works. Um, the way that sequence of fee sharing works is that we essentially track everything. Um, and then after the transaction has been sequenced, we know how profitable it is and then we return the funds to developers. Um, so slightly different the way that things are calculated. Um, but yeah, that's how sequence of fee sharing works. And yeah, for us, this is, you know, it's it's something which is going to become very common. Like we expect every L2 to do this in one way or another. I, I think so. I think there's no doubt this is going to get copied um, by by other teams. Um, so it, it it's really just proof of the fact that it's a really good idea. It's an incentive that makes a lot of sense. Uh, to expand on that, though, there's this thing, I, I thought it was called mode referral revenue. So like there's there's like some sort of a referral on chain and, and you you get like a portion of sequencer fees for life. Um, can you explain more of that and, and, and how that's going to, you know, create yet another incentive to participate in mode? Yeah, absolutely. So we also built out a, an on-chain referral 
mechanic. So if you refer someone um, to mode, then you get a small part of their sequence of fees as well, of their transaction fees. Um, so it gives that incentive for people who aren't necessary token holders to, you know, recommend their friends to use mode. Um, right now, the, the airdrop campaign that's running is, um, yeah, definitely uh, much more lucrative um, when it comes to referring people to mode as you also get airdrop points um, and you will get a sequence of fees as well. So, so yeah. Uh, yeah, our, you know, our goal is to really think about how can we build distribution mechanics into the product? How can we build growth mechanics into the product, into the chain itself? Um, so yeah, uh, the yeah, on-chain referral engine is also going to be interesting to see how that evolves. Maverick Protocol provides innovative liquidity solutions for token projects to customize, automate, and incentivize their liquidity with the highest efficiency in DeFi, all powered by Maverick AMM. Why has Maverick become the first choice for all kinds of token projects from stablecoins to LRTs? As the first dynamic distribution AMM, Maverick AMM provides automated liquidity movement modes which move your liquidity to follow price, keeping it where it does the most good. This enables Maverick-powered pools to process higher volume with lower TVL requirements and means that Maverick supports the highest capital efficiency for LRTs like WEETH. Maverick AMM also supports non-uniform liquidity distributions, making it easy to concentrate liquidity in shapes that fit each project's individual needs. Finally, Maverick Boosted positions maximize incentive efficiency for protocols looking to bootstrap their token liquidity to precise strategic areas of a liquidity pool. Token communities like Lido, Aave, Swell, EtherFi, and KelpDAO have been bootstrapping TVL and maintaining PEG using Maverick tools. Ready to build liquidity with maximal efficiency? Go to app.mav.xyz the edge podcast today can you talk more about uh what's the design or thinking behind this like smart treasury this is another feature i was reading about for mode it's like smart treasury with rewards funded by autonomous buybacks so what what does that mean and how does it work this is something we're working on um right now when a, when this mode token is launched um we will have a smart treasury and smart treasuries are essentially um, fully on-chain treasuries that will uh, act autonomously um, and they will, the purpose of them is to buy back and reissue tokens. So there's a pretty interesting article um, from Joel Onegro. Um, from Placeholder. He published this a few years ago and it was a response to a lot of chains not really understanding what to do with revenue that they get in their own token. Um, so there were some chains that started earning revenue in their own token, especially L1s, and their response was to burn them. And yeah, people should read the article. It's really good. Um, it's called don't burn tokens, buy back and make, or something like that. And essentially he was saying, yeah, it doesn't make sense to take tokens out of circulation and burn them because you increase the amount of static tokens, right? Or you increase the power of like static tokens. Um, for example, people 
that might just be hoarding tokens um, or holding tokens. I don't know if is well. Holding tokens, not doing anything with them. They're essentially getting more powerful, right? And more power. Uh, and especially if they're government's tokens, these people are increasing their power over and over again. Um, and his proposition was that instead you should reissue those tokens, right? So you should um, think about how a smart treasury can essentially hold your native token, can hold ETH, and it could also hold stable coins. Um, when those tokens come back, uh, you can, when you have revenue, you buy back your token. Um, the smart treasury automatically buybacks your token, and then it can reissue uh, those tokens to, for example, developers or applications. Um, and, you know, if there's positive growth from that, you'll end up having this flywheel effect, um, you know, and this really nice growth loop where this revenue ends up funding, um, yeah, this, uh, your essentially your growth engine. So yeah, it's a bit hard to explain without the a diagram in front of me, but yeah, that's essentially the thinking behind it. And our focus with mode is to build out like as many autonomous systems as possible. So firstly, how do we quantify what growth is on chain and what, uh, on chain contribution is right. Then how do we, um, reward and incentivize that with, uh, tokens and create, how do we create like ongoing sustainable, sustainable incentives for our users and developers and yeah, how does that grow the network as a whole? Um, so yeah, we are, we've spent, uh, a lot of time focusing on building out, uh, a research arm, which really digs into these like economic questions around growth. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really excited to share that. And, um, yeah, the partners we've worked with, are you know, they're all PhDs in, um, yeah, game theory and computer science and yeah, they will build out incredible stuff, incredible models. So, uh, yeah, we'll have, we'll have a lot more, um, on this very soon. Um, before we talk about the partners or protocols that should be live, you know, with mode mainnet live, um, and, and like, basically how can we get started starting to, uh, where can we get started in terms of DeFi on mode? Uh, I'm curious, like, have you, uh, been able to reflect then at all on like, what are some of the mistakes that other L2s have made? You don't have to call anybody out by name at all, but just kind of thinking about the, uh, yeah, the stumbling blocks that you've observed and, and how you're iterating on that. So that mode can, you know, attract that many more users, that many more developers, that many more protocols. So I think the biggest mistake L2s make, I don't really want to share this, but I'm going to share it because, you know, we love sharing information is, um, focusing on the big protocols first. Um, it's, it's generally not, a, it's not a good strategy, um, for a few reasons. If I'm building a new L2 and my first applications are Uniswap, Aave, um, yeah, those, let's, let's use those two and maybe a couple other well-known DeFi protocols, like say SushiSwap as well. I mean, that's awesome, right? 
we must have the world's best BD team and we must have a really compelling chain. But it doesn't really give a chance to grow your own native DeFi ecosystem. And most success comes from, you know, on an L2, when you have a really strong native group of builders um, who are building on your chain, who are committed to your chain, who are going to eventually launch tokens, govern the, their projects via your chain, and grow that way. It's much more organic. Um, and there's much more incentive as well. I think uh, Arbitrum is the best example of this, right? Um, they launched GL, GMX launched, right, on Arbitrum. It got a lot of support from the community, and it grew into this incredible um, protocol. And I think there was a lot of great catalysts that happened um, when uh, GMX launched. For example, ETH price was going up. That was great as people were net long on the platform. Um, but it created this like awesome community of people and builders who went on to build many other things um, within the ecosystem. And yeah, if they had just started with, say, trying to bring on a big perps protocol, it wouldn't have been the same um, because they had this new, uh, this new protocol, it had a new design, um, it had a very successful token. It meant that, you know, as it grew, all the natives on that chain grew with it um, and saw, yeah, this incredible return and continue to like, build out awesome new things. So not focusing in on your native DeFi ecosystem or native ecosystem, um, not supporting those builders enough is definitely a big mistake. And I think a lot of L2s that, you know, have had 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars of funding, you know, their first thought is, well, we can just pay, you know, a big pro call to come on to, uh, to come on terms and that will solve our problems. But it actually doesn't. Um, if you look at a lot of L2s, some of their top pro calls are native to them. Um, and yeah, that's definitely like a journey, um, that you have to go through and, yeah, when you're launching an L2, you're really, uh, your goal is to launch the best platform or the best environment for developers to build cool stuff and build real businesses that will scale. Um, so yeah, you kind of end up becoming uh, like an ecosystem incubator, accelerator, um, and support system. And yeah, that's definitely what we're aiming to do at Mode. Um, and we've been lucky enough to work with some great builders we have a lending protocol um, called Ionic, uh, which is from an extremely smart team. Um, we have uh, a new style of exchange called Kim, and we have uh, yeah, actually quite a few exchanges. We have a launch pad coming very soon called S1, which is uh, going to help power the launches of various uh, super chain teams. And for all these protocols, their goal is to think about how they can start building on mode now, what their differentiator is, and how they can become a, t a team that grows across the super chain, right? How they can start building interoperable um, solutions. So maybe, you know, in the future, uh, this lending protocol will uh, enable you to have your ETH on mode and borrow USDC on base. Or, you know, 
be able to have ethon mode and um, quickly have some USDT or USDC or ethon Zora to quickly buy um, yeah, an NFT. So we're starting to try and think about those challenges now and those for them. That is a really uh, well articulated point about uh, having to create your own, I call them like a homegrown hero on, on an L2. So Radiant Capital for me was a homegrown hero of Arbitrum. GMX was without question the, the flagship like hero of that L2. Um, I think Velodrum has has held somewhat of that like role in optimism. And yeah, to the point you're making though with these bigger guys, uh, it's it's just the reality. Ave, Uniswap, um, actually I'll I'll say Curve is one of the few that Curve Curve is huge and those those guys move still like it's day one. Like they are just like one of the fastest to deploy and and um to to want to like participate in new L2s. But aside from Curve, uh it's just hard to to get governance on board, to get these these protocols aligned. And uh yeah, there's there's something about what you described there. I love that. It's so it's, it's, there's a magic to like uh having your your own, you know, homegrown hero uh that is a DEX or a lending platform. Um I feel like Starknet has been doing somewhat of a, a good job of this. I, I think it's because the tech forces that 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 issue. It's not easy to to move from um, any of the other L2s or L1s uh, right over to Starknet. Um, and, and I want I want to say Mantle too has been an L2 that like when I think of Mode and what what I've known about Mode through through your eyes. I think of Mantle as well. They're like very product centric, uh, but yeah, I I love I love what you just said. That that is that's such a great point. Um, you, you named a number of the uh, newer protocols that like would be launching on Mode. Uh, any other names that we might already know from other L2s or Ethereum mainnet that we can expect to show up? I I want to say Athena was one that is is not fully launched. They're still like in beta on um ethereum mainnet for folks that don't know athena you should go back um we uh did an interview with guy the founder of athena um i think at the start of january 2024 uh they have this uh protocol where you deposit uh staked eth for now it's just lido's staff and then what they do is they create like a basis trade so as long as uh there are funding rates that will pay us to short ETH, um, they're able to open up this delta neutral position. And the the net result of that is pretty insane. Like it's it's been anywhere between like 10% to 30% on average. Uh, and in so anyways, Athena is like a pretty highly anticipated protocol that's coming. Anyways, a- anything you can say about Athena? Is Athena definitely going to be on mode or any other protocols we might recognize? Yeah, we um we have an integration that's being worked on with Athena uh, right now. We can't really say too much more. Um, but yeah, that that will be coming uh, probably like March, April time. Um, we've, yeah, we've integrated like uh, 50, 60 different, uh, you know, application layer pieces of infrastructure 
different applications we expect to launch. Um, you know, we have things like a safe deployment, which has been done by the awesome team at Protofire. But yeah, it's it's the Gnosis safe um, that we all know and love. Um, so yeah, when you're building out an ecosystem um, and, you know, a chain, you really have to get a lot of key infrastructure in place, right? Um, you have to have a load of integrations across like all different wallets. Um, but the kind of key thing is you have to have a place for people to trade um, swap. You have to have a place for people to borrow and lend, and you have to have a place for people to leverage um, their positions, right? Um, we've also started working on different liquid staking, well, work on integrations with different liquid staking platforms. Uh, we've been working closely with the Redacted team um, on a solution there. So, yeah, we have a lot coming. But to start with, we're really focused on our native DeFi ecosystem um, and building out and get this, this interoperable vision. And our core goal, you know, with these uh, protocols is, you know, we're encouraging them to uh, launch tokens become decentralized, have like, you know, a governance structure, become decentralized as quickly as possible. Um, and really, uh, yeah, involve the community in that, um, and have very active participation from the community in like every step of this journey and also experiment with different fundraising models. We don't really want them to all just get VC funding, right? Um, we, we want that to be a much more kind of fair launch style approach um to them yeah launching on mode like we want to experiment like would it make sense for uh you know a new dex on mode to do a, a liquidity bootstrapping pool in lbp um would it make sense to uh do like a liquidity mining program for a significant amount of the tokens a huge amount um would it be interesting to do an auction? Could we use NFTs, uh, you know, to think about different ways to launch? So we're really excited to work with these teams um, to experiment with different ways they can launch. And so, yeah, that's going to be fun. James, you mentioned uh, LSTs. Is there any native yield for like an ETH LST on load? Or is there, when I say a native yield, um, probably the, the one place I think I think of right now is Mantle has this uh, thing called Meth, Mantle ETH, and and so that's like this baseline yield that folks are earning there. They also have a stable coin called MUSD, and it's backed by Ondo, uh, which is using like Treasury bill yield, so it's earning about like five percent. Is there a concept of like native yield on mode that we can look forward to? Like, is there anything that like should already be live or coming soon? Yeah, um, so yeah, we are working on that right now. And this will be like a very much a stage two to this mainnet launch. Um the key thing for us is we need to keep interoperability um across the super chain. So if we have our own uh yeah, LST, um, for example, if it was Modi, right? That would be great for mode but it wouldn't necessarily be great for these other teams, right? If at one point we become interoperable, then it doesn't really make sense um, to have this token flying around base and, you know, other chains and OP mainnet. 
Um, so we're trying to think about this, uh, yeah, from an approach like how do we scale this? If we were to have native yield, how would it scale? What would it look like on chain? Um, what would it look like across different applications? Would these be rebasing tokens? Would they be wrap versions? Um, so yeah, we're doing a lot of research into that. Um, we'll be, yeah, we'll be releasing some some of that research in the coming weeks. But yeah, there there will be native yield and the exact implementation. Uh, we will, yeah, we'll share very soon. So before we talk about uh, how we can participate in like a future airdrop or what are the details of this like airdrop campaign. But by the way, again, I'm recording all of this with James like in advance. So like, I, I truly have like no idea. I haven't been able to read any documents. So like, if you're watching this, you, you should probably go to uh, uh, mode.network and um, check out their blog or look at their Twitter for, for more details. But uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the mode token? Like what utility will it serve? How does it work? Is there staking involved with it? Um, yeah, how does it function in the mode network? Yeah, so we're doing a fairly uh, significant airdrop, I would say. Um, and we've worked on modeling uh, this this campaign with uh, yeah a couple of different groups. We're focused on incentive modeling for like really like the top teams. Um, uh, I actually know them from when I was uh, working on a project with the Eigenlayer team. Um, and yeah, we, uh, we ended up collaborating, um, with, uh, yeah, a team working on this again. Um, so yeah, we've really taken like a, I'd say a much more quantitative approach. Like if people contribute to the chain, um, they'll get significantly higher reward than those that don't contribute. Um, but if you do bridge over, you do get a reward. If you bridge over and you're active in protocols, you get a much higher reward. Um, we have a formula for that. So we're trying to be fairly transparent as well. We've seen that um, a lot of teams, that, for example, lock people's tokens into a bridge um, or lock tokens in general. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of these things where like, Short term, I think, yeah, potentially it's good for the chain, right? TVL goes up, everyone high fives, but it's not very sustainable. Um, and so we don't, you know, we don't want to do that. We think that, you know, people should make their own decisions, essentially, on when they, you know, where they move their assets. That's kind of the whole point of, uh, you know, permissionless systems, right? Like, you don't have to lock stuff up for many months. Um but yeah, and fast is it's all about like ongoing contribution. Um, and for example, depositing and becoming a liquidity provider means you are, you're contributing daily, like hourly, every minute, every time there's a trade. Um, but yeah, just having assets in a bridge and they're not doing anything, uh, fast, that's not really, yeah, it doesn't really make sense in like, you know, in building a long-term community. And yeah, the Mo token. So we're expecting the token to launch in yeah beginning of Q two, um, and yeah, we we can't say too much about the uh, utility of it right now. Um, we're also modeling that out. Um, 
Uh, we've been speaking to a lot of different researchers um, and experts in the space on this. So, um, yeah, we should have a very interesting model. Um, we're also integrating the smart treasury. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to be exciting too. Uh, James, I think this is a great place for us to start to wrap up. So I want to remind our listeners that they should first learn more about Mode by going to mode.network. Uh, they can follow the Mode Mothership account on Twitter. It's Mode Network. Uh, we'll also flash uh, James's Twitter account here on screen, and you can find that in our show notes. And then, James, uh, could you just you know, close us out then with uh, whatever detail you can share about the airdrop campaign? Again, this will all be public by now, but um, would love if you can just kind of summarize, like, how can you participate? What are some of like the key ways to earn uh, mode tokens? Absolutely. So the key ways to earn are by um, taking part in uh, the campaign, which involves bridging to mode um, and inviting friends to mode and using the applications on mode. So very simple. Um, and the, the more you use, the more you contribute to the network, the more you'll be rewarded. Um, we have a pretty transparent formula for this. Um, and yeah, we're, we're super excited to welcome new people who are interested in building out the future of interoperable DeFi. Um, to mode, if you have any ideas, if you're a builder, um, you're looking for support, please get in touch. You can DM me on Twitter, um, or you can chat to the guys in discord um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be an amazing year we're super excited to build the future of ethereum optimism and the super chain together so thank you so much for having me on thanks everyone for tuning in if you're a talented founder or developer please consider reaching out to our team at fourthrevolution.capital and for future episodes of the edge podcast please check out our link tree at edge underscore pod mm-hmm.